the Gallup poll listed those events that had changed or dramatically affected our world, including World War II, the Holocaust, development of the atom bomb, formation of the United Nations, and 9-11. The one event more than any other that has changed our world, however, is the birth of Jesus. And it is interesting to me that the events leading up to that event are seemingly common. For instance, the couple, Mary and Joseph, were a common couple. There was not anything special about them. When they came to Bethlehem, no one would have paused to notice them. It was not like Brad and Angelina coming to town. They were just a common couple and no one would have paid any attention. Truth is, we don't know much about them. Joseph is a descendant of David. He was a carpenter or a builder by trade, which was a respectable profession, but it received no great notice. Mary, she was a young girl. She was the cousin of Elizabeth. She was engaged to Joseph, but they were just a common couple. Bethlehem was a common town, I suppose something similar to the little town I grew up in. It was, it was a little village about five miles south of Jerusalem. At the time of the birth of Jesus, there were about 150 inhabitants there, but it was just a common little village. It is mentioned a few times in Scripture, you might recall, that Naomi was from there, and when she and her family left because of the famine, they went to Moab, and while she was there, her husband and two sons died, and so she returned to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Bethlehem was the home of David. It was there that he was anointed to be the king of Israel. But it was just a common village. There was not anything special about it. The event itself was common. The birth of a child. Something that happens thousands of times a day. Not anything special about it. You have to wonder, why did God choose to send His Son in such a common surrounding? The couple was common. The town was common, and the event was common. Why did he choose such a way? Bob Russell gives two possibilities. He says, first of all, that it was God's way of identifying with man. You see, here's the problem we have always had. God is infinite, and I am finite. Therefore, it is impossible for me as a finite person to truly understand or touch God. And so as a result of God coming in human form, now then I can relate to God because of His human form. That's a possibility. He said the second reason was to demonstrate the wisdom of God. God has said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And so God does not always do things the way we do or the way we think He should. So let's look at the birth this morning. Since we have been going through the Old Testament, I'll read the story in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse number 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, 
Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. As we look at this passage of Scripture today, I want to share with you three facts about the birth of Christ. First of all, is that God keeps His promises. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what an encouragement that is, that God does what He says He's going to do. We don't have much of that today, do we? But God keeps His promises. In fact, in first, in second Corinthians chapter one, verse number twenty, Paul wrote, For as many as may be the promises of God, in Him they are yes. As I think about the birth of Christ, it is a reminder to me that God is a promise keeping God. Now, you recall in the Garden of Eden that the Lord put Adam and Eve there, and in the midst of that garden, He placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and He said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree. You know the story that they disobeyed the Lord. They ate of the forbidden fruit. As a result of that, now then, they are separated from God. Sin came into the world because of their disobedience, and now, even though they had enjoyed a perfect relationship, perfect fellowship with God, now that is broken. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, for the first time, God said that He was going to provide a way back to Him. That was God's promise. Even after they had sinned against the Lord, God then said, but I am going to provide a way back. And that promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. When Jesus was born a little baby, his parents were taking him to the temple for the purpose of the ceremony that was necessary. When they took him, Simeon was there. Simeon is an interesting character because... He had been promised that he would not die until he had seen the fulfillment of the promise. That he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. So they gave the baby to Simeon and he held the baby in his arms. And when he looked at the baby, he said, this is the fulfillment. This is the fulfillment of the promise. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 30 through 32... He said, For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon looked at Jesus who had been born and declared that he is the fulfillment of the promise that God had made. Andrew believed that he was also. Andrew was the brother of Simon Peter. And the Scripture says in John 1.41, He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. You see, God promised that He was going to send a Messiah, that He was going to send a way back. And that promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus because 
God is a promise-keeping God. He promised that His birth would be miraculous. In verse number 14, He says, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. That promise was made 700 years before Jesus was born. Now, there have always been objections. The idea of the virgin birth. There have always been objections concerning that because it is humanly impossible that a virgin is going to have a child. So one of the explanations has been that Mary had an affair with the Roman soldier and the birth of Jesus was the result of that relationship. But you know what? Don't tell anybody this. The truth is, we believe in the virgin birth. In fact, in 2003, there was an article in New York Times, a survey had been done, and it revealed that Americans were three times more likely to believe in the virgin birth, 80%, than in evolution, 28%. You see, the world can scoff at the idea of the virgin birth, but the truth is, we believe that he was born of a virgin that that miracle was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Bruce Corley, a New Testament scholar, wrote, The Bible's report of the virgin birth of Jesus is reliable history. So what has God promised then? He said, I will send a Messiah. His birth will be miraculous, and He will have a ministry. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 4, Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. When the Messiah came, He was promised a ministry, that He would have a ministry to our physical needs. And He did that while He was here. He healed those who were lame. People who were lame and brought to Jesus could walk. He healed those who were blind. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Bartimaeus, who was a beggar outside the city of Jericho. Jesus came walking by one day, and Bartimaeus began crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the Scripture says that Jesus stopped, and He said, bring him to me. And so He came. And Jesus asked the question, what is it that you want me to do? And He said, that I might receive my sight. I like that because He didn't beat around the bush. He said, I'm blind, I'd like to see. And the Bible says that Jesus gave him His sight. There were the ten lepers that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you will, you can make us clean. If you will, you can heal us. And Jesus healed them. You see, when Jesus came, He came miraculously. He came with the ministry to minister to the physical needs of mankind. And we believe that, do we not? That's the reason we pray for people who are ill. That's the reason that our deacons meet at 5.30 an hour before their deacons meeting so that anyone can come and they will pray for them because we believe that Jesus has a physical ministry. We believe that He was given a ministry to our physical needs but also a ministry to our emotional needs. And the Scripture says in Isaiah 26.3, The steadfast of mind thou will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. I was reading that verse and thinking about it yesterday, and as I did, I thought, you know, that's really true with me. Isn't it with you, or is it with you? Those times in my life when it seems that my mind becomes so cluttered and I become apprehensive and, and uh, there's so much going on that if I just spend some time with God in prayer, 
If I just go before Him in prayer, it seems that the peace of God floods my soul. But that's what the Holy Spirit does, and that is the ministry of Jesus who miraculously came. You see, He came because He had a, he had a physical ministry. He, he ministers to our physical needs. He ministers to our emotional needs. And He also ministers to our spiritual needs because He came to save us. The Scripture says in Colossians 2.14, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. you know what that means? Folks, that means that all of my sins were placed on the cross. And when Jesus died, He paid for my sins. It means all of your sins were placed on the cross. And when Jesus died, He paid for your sins. He came to be our Savior. He is our Advocate. The Bible says in 1 John 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Now, he's, he's writing to Christians here. I'm writing that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the word Advocate means an attorney. He said, I'm praying that you do not sin, but if you do, you have an attorney. Uh, folks, I do sin. I know that some of you never do, but I, I do sin. But you know the good news? I have an attorney who's never lost a case. Jesus is the one who represents me. He is my advocate. The Bible says that He is our propitiation, that He satisfied the debt. John said, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. So what does it mean that Jesus was born? It means that God is a promise-keeping God. That he promised that he would, he would send a Messiah. He, he said that he would come miraculously and he would have a ministry. That's one of the things, one of the facts that it means to me. That God is a promise keeping God. Keeps his promises. The second fact is that God appeared in human form. Now that is difficult for us to understand that, that, in fact I've had, I have people to ask me that question, always have, and you probably asked the question and, been asked the question, how is it that Jesus can be God? See, that's, that's difficult, but that's what the Bible says. For instance, he is referred to as the son of David, which speaks of his humanity. When the Bible refers to him as being the son of David, that speaks of his humanity. Raymond Brown, a Catholic theologian, wrote, according to Jewish law, Joseph's acknowledgment of Jesus would make him the legal father of the child, a status not dependent on physical fatherhood, so Jesus was truly a son of David. So the Bible says then that he is the son of David, but it also says that he is the son of God. So, human, divine. The Apostle Paul speaks of that duality in Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ 
our Lord. So the Bible then says that Jesus who came, Jesus who was born, He is both God and man. Now we struggle with that, and because we struggle with it, sometimes people reject Him. Jesus came to his hometown where he had grown up of Nazareth, and and the people were perplexed by Jesus because he had grown up there. And they had heard his words, and they had seen the miracles, and the Bible says, and all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips, and they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? How, How is it that... He is able to teach us these things. He has not been to the rabbinical school. How is it that he has performed the miracles? Isn't that Joseph's boy? You remember Joseph? He lives up there. Isn't that his son? And so they were perplexed by it. There were some who saw Jesus as being a prophet, and still that is true today. In fact, when Jesus was meeting with his disciples, he asked them the question, Who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You see, we struggle with this idea, don't we? That Jesus was God in the flesh, and yet the Bible declares him to be God. In verse number 14, Isaiah wrote, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. He declared his deity even then. John also speaks of that when John was writing in the prologue of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and there he is speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. John declared his deity, God in the flesh. The Bible declares him to be the Messiah. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? In John chapter 14, verse 7, Jesus said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, we want to see the Father. And Jesus declared, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He appeared in human form. So when I think about the birth of Jesus... It is a reminder to me that God keeps His promises because He had promised a Savior. It reminds me that Jesus is God in the flesh, God incarnate. And the third fact is that God tabernacles with man or God lives among man. Now here's the thing that is um, a little perplexing to me because God wants us to have a relationship with Him He sent His Son Jesus to come. But man chooses to live his life without God, without that relationship. The Bible declares that that you can do that. You can choose that I do not want to live my life with God. But the Bible declares that if so, then you live your life in bondage. 
Paul wrote in Galatians 4.3, So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. So the Bible says that if you choose to live your life without Christ, then you are in bondage to the law. Now, the law condemns us for our sin, but does not enable us to live up to its standard. If you're living your life without Jesus Christ and the grace of God, then the Bible says, then you are in bondage to the law. The law is like a mirror. It reveals our condition, but it does not change it. This morning when you got up and you were going to get ready for church and you looked in the mirror, I know sometimes it's somewhat frightening. And you look in there and see your reflection. Now, the mirror reveals what is there, but it doesn't change it. It's still there. You know, you've got to put something on look a little bit better. That's what the law does. It is like a mirror. It reflects our condition. It shows us our condition, but it does not give us the power to change. And then Paul says that we were under elemental things during that time. And in Paul's thinking at that time, the elemental things were fate, destiny. That my life is determined by fate. My life is determined by destiny. And I have no control over it. So what he says is that you can live your life without Jesus, but by doing so, he says, then you're in bondage, and you're in bondage uh, under sin. If you choose to live your life without God, then you are in bondage to the law, to the elemental things. You're in bondage in sin because you have no power over it. And so the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And then the Bible tells us that if we choose to live our lives without God, that there is no purpose in life. Rick Warren is, received a lot of notoriety because of his book that he wrote uh, on purpose. And how sad it is when someone lives their life and goes through life and there is no purpose. But see, that's the way it is without God. Who am I? Nobody. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Nowhere. What am I doing here? Nothing. Folks, do you ever think about life? If, if there is no God, if you have not committed your life to God, then there is no purpose in life. While I was spending time in this yesterday, I also had finished reading uh, Sarah Palin's book. There's one passage in here where she was in California writing this book, and she had gone for a run. And she wrote, I had to stop walking for a second. I rarely stop. I sat down on the grass and prayed, God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness, always seeing us through. I don't know if this chapter is ending or just beginning, but you do. So I hand it all over to you again. Thanks for letting me do that. Then I thanked our Lord for every single thing we'd been through that year. I believe there was a purpose in it all. You see, that's life with the Lord. No matter what you're going through, that you know that God has not abandoned you. No matter what you're experiencing in life, you know that God still loves you and that there is purpose in life. And that is what I desperately desire for you. I do have purpose in life. I really do. And it is such a 
peaceful and powerful sense when you know that I know the Lord and God is directing my life. Then there is that sense of purpose. But without God, then there is no purpose. We can choose to live our life without Him, but in doing so, then we put ourselves in bondage and without purpose and without hope. H.G. Wells wrote, Man who began in a cave behind a windbreak will end in the disease-soaked ruins of the slum. I'm going to share my opinion with you. I do not at all claim that it came from the Lord. Certainly not divinely inspired, I don't think. But it's my opinion, and I'm the one who's talking, so I'm going to share it. Let me tell you what I think has happened to us. We have increasingly, a little bit at a time, removed God from society. We have removed God from our lives. We've removed God from everything. I I heard T.D. Jakes preaching last night. You know, when he wants to, he can preach. Now, you might not like him, but when... When he wants to, he can. And he was talking about, you know, that we've lost Jesus in the feast. We have the feast going on. It's when Jesus was 12 years old. We have the feast going on, and in the midst of all of it, we've lost Jesus. I think that he's dead on. I think that's exactly what's happened to us. Time has gone by, and we've removed, we've removed all the nativity scenes from the public square. We, you know, you used to be able to go into stores, and you'd hear the, hear the Christmas music playing. Remove that. We, don't, we, we no longer say Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday Season, greetings, whatever that stuff is. But we've just removed the Lord. Now, here's what's happened, I think. Because we have all these issues we're dealing with. We have climate change. We have all these issues that we're dealing with. You know why I think that we're struggling with it? Because we no longer have God. And now then I have to control the universe. Well, folks, that's a big responsibility for me. I've got to be in charge as to whether or not that it's going to get colder or warmer. I have to be in charge as to to where the ocean is going to spill. I'm the one who has to control that. If you don't have any God, then we have to do it. And that's exactly what I think has happened. You see, we have just removed God from everything. We have no God today. And so here we are without hope. And we're wringing our hands and scared to death. We don't know whether we're going to freeze or burn up. We don't. Because we think it's our responsibility. Why? Because we don't have God. We have removed Almighty God and His power. I read in the Psalms about, let me tell you something, God's in control of this universe. And if we would go back and trust in Jehovah God again, if we would go back and reinstate Him in our hearts and in our lives and in our schools and in our government today, we'd sleep a lot better at night. We would not have to stay up worrying about whether we were going to burn or freeze because God is in control. Now, you can live your life without God. That's your choice. Or you can live your life with God, and it's very different. If you choose to live with God, then you have His presence in your life. He takes care of things. If you choose to live with God, then you're a son, not a servant. You're free, not in bondage. If you choose to live with God, then you're an heir of His righteousness. You're an heir of a wonderful Christian family, and you are an heir of heaven someday. God sent His Son that you and I might have a way back to Him. Do you know Him?
Do you know Jesus? Our Father in God, we come to you at an invitation time and pray, Lord, that you will speak to hearts. Lord, I pray for those who are trying to live their life without you. Father, I just pray that they might yield themselves to you, trust you. Lord, that they might go from being a, a, a slave of sin to a son of God. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll give them hope and bless their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir's going to sing. If you're here without Christ, would you trust Him today? You're looking for a church home? My door's open to you. Be obedient to the Lord during this time. I'll greet you.